podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting fire hose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful and a reminder to recommend us to friends, fam, colleagues, acquaintances, baristas you encounter, anyone you think might enjoy us. Um, and if you're not already, feel free to follow us on social media, FWM Podcast on Twitter, and Feminist Without Mystique on Instagram. Here we are. Here More. We are. <laughs> Don't worry, darling. Drama and tea has spilt. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Oh, it was giving me just life on Monday night. Like mm-hmm. it was it was like the fire festival. I want 12 documentaries on this. I I want every inch of coverage. Yeah. I want to preface it with the most recent thing I read, which feels like Olivia Wilde planted it. Um <laughs> apparently a source has said uh or sources told Rolling Stone it's shocking that all this is going on. I never noticed one second of tension on that set. Not one second. Wow. Okay. I don't believe that. That's... You know, there seems to be tension. <laughs> they had some Olivia and Flo. I mean, I know you know. Did they, was it a high five moment they had? Or was it, there was one moment at the uh, Venice Film Festival that wasn't, they weren't being separated by everyone. And <laughs> they were, I think it was at the end of the, screening when they had a standing ovation okay olivia turned to clap for florence who returned the favor with a smile and clapping for olivia so they clapped at each other okay okay all right okay fact check it was not a high five it was a a mutual clapping (laughs) (laughs) no physical contact was exchanged between these two between miss flo (laughs) and her director (laughs) And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, listen to last week's episode or fast forward, um, but we're, we're not going to explain it to you again. This is no. new information now. We're, we can't up. go back in time. Too much we has happened. Never, no, too much has happened. We can't go back for you um, much as we would like. Um, I really enjoyed that Florence Pugh's stylist also mm-hmm. um, posted Miss Flow. <laughs> yes as the caption caption to her instagram Mm -hmm. and miss flo was looking lovely oh she looked gorge absolutely gorge um you had there were a couple i know chris pine moments that you enjoyed oh yeah um thank you first of all as we know as longtime listeners will know chris pine's one of my faves Mm -hmm. and it was a goddamn delight that in a parallel moment to this whole Venice drama, Princess Diaries 2 was trending because everyone who has like been waiting for this moment was like, yes, this is so <laughs> – anyway. Um, so Chris Pine was trending for a couple of reasons. One, because he had like – there were lots of memes that were born because during the press event that Florence Pugh decided not to go to, Chris Pine – there were tons of like – screen grabs of him looking extremely bored like one where he's just like (laughs) staring blankly (laughs) another where he's like rolling his eyes back in the back of his head and it's really funny (laughs) there were a lot of those that were really great but then on the red carpet when it was like Florence Pugh's first kind of 
moment to make her glamorous appearance, Chris Pine had his own disposable camera and was taking pictures from all different angles. Like he was getting down on one knee. He was really bending. His whole body was like moving to get the shots. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it was really just cute and kind of the glee and um, enthusiasm with which he and the rest of the cast greeted her, I think, spoke volumes. And so those are the parts of the Chris Pine story that I primarily was enjoying. And then I think we'll get to it. But there was like the infamous spit or no spit between them. No spit. I was no spit. spit. But it was it was I mean, I don't think I can I don't believe that it was spit, but the it looked based on Chris (laughs) Pine's reaction. (laughs) It looked sus. It looked sus. It looked like something happened, but I I don't believe there were other videos from different angles now which makes it look like it definitely was not spit mm-hmm. um or it wasn't intentionally if there was spit or sweat it like yeah it just you know, happened it was natural and it's venice both representatives for harry styles and chris pine deny spitgate <laughs> <laughs> there was no spit no intentional spit anyway we don't know Ugh, we don't but man was that fun as like a little cherry on top of the evening it was like mm-hmm. whoa and what was i mean you know i I like Harry Styles. Um, it seems that maybe he did not match Miss Flo in the film. We'll see. I haven't seen it yet. The reviews haven't have been pretty like meh. <laughs> um, but there, there was that moment where he was like, where Harry Styles was saying, you know, my favorite thing about the movie oh. is like it feels like a movie, you know, <laughs> and like. I feel I feel like I know what he said. I feel like he was nervous. I don't know, but like. Oh. He didn't help himself. Sweet boy. I know. And Chris Pine was Chris there, just <laughs> blank expression. Um, and it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it feels, you know, some things feel really cinematic, you know, like it maybe it felt big and larger than life and like meant for the big, you know, maybe he was trying to convey that. And um, I think he was a little nervous, but yeah. His favorite thing not... about the movie is it feels like a movie. All right, hair. <laughs> Still love you. You know, it's funny because this also seemed like this is just not his scene. He is a musician and he's a rock star, but he's not a movie star. And like, I don't really differentiate between the two things that often. But from all the TikToks where people are like eating up Harry Styles and he's like killing it on those live performances and fan interactions. And he seems like so in his element. He seemed so uncomfortable, so out of his element, so forced contractually to be at this thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of them all seemed like they had to be. Um, yeah. I mean, they all had to be. But, um, oh, and a, like a funny aside, um, there was a TikTok that Nick Kroll posted. Did you see this? No, I didn't see it. <laughs> Nick Kroll, another like supporting I, character. Also, I love that he was just there. I don't know <laughs> that he's part of this. <laughs> right. He and um, I'm going to forget her name. The other person who was in a lot of the photos, the actress with like, she had the long black dress, not Gemma Chan. Oh, I was like, Gemma Chan? (laughs) No, it was the other woman who was like forced to be there. The two of them were in a car going, obviously, to the red carpet for this event. And um, Nick Kroll posted like POV, like when they're waiting for you and but when they're not waiting for you. And like... (laughs) It was everyone looking into the car being like, nope, it's not Harry Styles. Nope. And so they're all like, sorry, not Harry Styles. It's just like a row of disappointed, excited, then disappointed faces. And Nicole's like, I promise you, 
in certain circles in the United States, we are considered kind of funny and important or something like it was just (laughs) (laughs) poor Nikki. Yeah. It's not, not the time for you to shine right now. You know, you've got drama, you've got things to, (laughs) you've got things to to dig into here. Um, But yeah, I, he is Harry Styles is a very enigmatic musician performer um, and he said something I don't know the direct quote but something about how what he likes about acting is he doesn't know what the hell he's doing mm. <laughs> whereas in music he feels in his element or something like that and it's like is that what you like about it because it seems like you hate this but he also seems to be like private about his relationships to an extent and so mm-hmm. I don't know if he's just so uncomfortable with what the press is surrounding it that that made him nervy I don't know because I did read things that like there were a couple of things that were that I read in reviews where it's like oh he he did give like a good performance but he didn't have like his character didn't have that many dimensions you know but he, mm-hmm. uh, we'll see I haven't seen it yet I'm I, I like want him to do well I just I, I don't know why I feel for he's fine yeah I think he's fine he's what sexiest man alive they said or one of those things he, he's gonna oh, be okay sure but. I mean he doesn't he just, hold a he candle seems to Chris nice. Pine, but yeah, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> to Chris, be clear, he's top no. tier, um, <laughs> no. the best Chris. But Harry I'm Styles, not like thirsting for Harry Styles. I just no. I like him. I think yeah. he's a, a nice young man. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I don't think he's given us any. It's funny because with the dislike of Olivia Wilde, who I couldn't help but almost feel bad for just a little because. There was a there was a picture where everyone on the red carpet was like they all had to obviously take a picture together and no one really seemed like they wanted to stand next to her like it kept being like oh you go there you go there and mm. you know it is sad this is her second film I'm sure she put a lot of work into it and and I I did feel like under a different set of circumstances this would be like a career highlight but really everyone's just like kind of hates you and is lusting after the drama me included. And overall, I think she just gets kind of what she deserves on this unless there's some sort of like, unless she comes out and there's a whole reverse timeline and wow, we were missing all the key pieces of context to make it all seem like it makes sense. But I came very close to feeling bad for her just because of the like sheer awkwardness and weirdness of the situation. And everyone seemed to be on Florence Pugh's side, which just seems to kind of substantiate everything that we were talking about last week yeah Um, I do feel I do feel a little bad for Olivia and all this because it's like on one hand I feel like if she had a credible defense for that Shia video we would have heard (laughs) it but on the other I don't know it's just if we we're all held up to like our worst moments you know yeah but the way she doubled down and was just so blatantly dishonest it's like eh, can't really have sympathy for that but then it's I don't know I just I go back and forth on on how I feel about her I don't love her um but I don't hate her and I side eye her you know like Mm -hmm. like I I I would accept an apology if she like said the right things in a genuine way but it just feels like we're not going to get anything from her on this not that she really needs you know she doesn't really need that from me I don't think yeah I think she's fine yeah without me forgiving her yeah um but if she were invested you know i'd love to i'd love to hear her her case yeah anything else you want to touch on on this hot topic you mentioned we mentioned the aperol spritz right 
Oh my gosh, barely. Yes, you mentioned it and we haven't really. Okay, so the other fun thing that kind of kicked off the drama for the day. And of course, we all got it. We were having our sprightly coffees in the morning when this was all like evening time. Excuse me, afternoon, evening time for Venice. But um, yeah, Florence Pugh had decided after all the drama came out that she was not going to be a part of the press like Q&A, like whole day that they were going to do. And so she showed up like in Venice wearing this like awesome purple Versace outfit. And like she posted basically a Snapchat of herself just like walking in Venice with this outfit and an Aperol spritz. And it was just perfect. It just was like instantly iconic. (laughs) No fucks were given. Um, No. It's a beautiful, a beautiful moment in history will be in the textbooks. Yeah. Hopefully. I know. One can hope. Someone posted, um, and then I reposted the um Florence Pugh quiet quitting icon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> doing the least. Yeah. So that was uh pretty funny. Speaking of doing the least, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> he's uh he's got this thing that we've we've all heard about where he doesn't date women over 25 years old um when I first saw the memes around it I don't know a couple weeks ago or whatever I was like huh <laughs> um but someone like on reddit like did the data crunching and like you can literally look at like a graph of many 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 women he's dated and like their ages during the relationships and Leonardo keeps getting older mm-hmm. but women get capped at 25 they all break up at 25 or younger that leads to the discussion of what because we both I think I feel safe to say feel like it's gross that he's doing this but I don't think all relationships with large age differences are inherently gross so it begs the question like what's the deal with these these older men dating these younger women like when is it fucked up why is it fucked up how is it fucked up is it ever not fucked up? What's the age? Like, what's, how do we, how do we feel about all of this? I feel like men who habitually date women who are significantly younger is red flag to me. Cause it's not like, oh, I just met this person out. And yeah, she seemed younger than me, but we just chatted and got to know each other, whatever. Versus like, I'm 50, I'm on OkCupid, 25 and under only. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just sort of like, implies this sort of predatory thing where you're seeking out somebody just at a different life stage Mm -hmm. who may be vulnerable in some way or there might be a power imbalance but it's like why why would you not be interested in women your own age like as a rule like it seems like leo's doing it's not like oh yeah they happen to be he stated women of all different ages you know and this one happened to be 25 because mm-hmm. that I can lend you know I still have like my own thoughts and feelings but I think that when it's a habit yeah anytime any anyone only dates one type of person depending on what that type is but like only one race or only one age group or only, you know it's just kind of like what's going on yeah I agree I think that it's it's the habitual nature that I think makes it like the overarching, mm-hmm. you know, the, the overarching question of whether or not it's creepy or not. And I think mm-hmm. for him, it obviously is creepy. With his most recent girlfriend, um, he had known her since um, 
her, so his girlfriend Camilla or ex-girlfriend Camilla Marone, he had known her since she was like in middle school because she's um Al Pacino's stepdaughter Gross. or like step-granddaughter or something like she's related to Al Pacino in some way um in like a stepdaughter capacity. Um so that's how she was introduced to Leonardo DiCaprio at age like 11 when he would have been like 35. So he's known her since he like she was like in barely hit puberty and he was 35. So that's like another element to this specific one that's gross mm-hmm. and I think that each one of his girlfriends, I mean it really like even when he was 25 apparently he was dating someone who was like 18. Um so it seems like habitually not only has he sought out someone very young but even when he was in his 20s he would he would seek out younger women um i read some theories about this um one thing that seems like to make sense to me is that he i mean as basically a movie star since he was a child he has kind of and he's always been cute you know and and when he was younger he was cute now he's like you know, just he's always never had a problem with women, with getting women. He doesn't really have to try. And I think there's like an extra element of like really, really not having to try with someone who's that young and mm-hmm. with whom he could wield. He has so much money, so much power and status, and it probably takes like generally less to engage and quote unquote date if that's what he's looking for, which is not to be challenged, which is like some element of control. It never seems like it spills into like an abuse situation Mm -hmm. but it does feel like there's this implicit imbalance that he seeks some people talk about how like you know age 25 is when your prefrontal cortex is finally fully developed Mm -hmm. as a woman for men it takes longer Hmm. um to no one's surprise uh but that there's sort of i mean on twitter someone joked that like well, maybe we're assuming we're assuming he breaks up with them, but really maybe their brain fully develops and they decide they don't want to date him. <laughs> yeah, um, that is but, a take. <laughs> you know, it was like that kind of made me laugh. But I think that it was, you know, it's the constant habitual nature, like you say, that makes it feel icky and borderline predatory. And, and it sort of seems to speak to his, to his character in a way that is negative. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, the prefrontal cortex thing, it's like your ability to control your impulses is tied up with that. A lot of executive brain functions, like it's a pretty important part of of the old brain. Um, And it's not to say, you know, a 24-year-old woman isn't an adult or like can't make decisions for herself, but like at different life stages, people have different strengths and weaknesses and there is a science to, you know, brain development, neuroscience, <laughs> heard of it. Yeah. Um, so I do think that that's an, an interesting piece of it. And it's kind of on the nose that 25 is when <laughs> this is happening with him. Um, and I think about, I hate to, but I think about Dane Cook and, <laughs> and his fiance now who he met when she was 17, but they didn't, have romantic he had no romantic feelings for her until her you know 18th birthday of course of course um and they got engaged i think she's in her early 20s now not 25 yet it's that kind of thing where it's like with leo and having met her when she was 11 like i just like when you know someone when they're a child how can you 
ever be attracted to them unless you were also a child at the time. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, it's, that is so skeevy and weird to me and really makes me feel like, and this is totally my opinion, but really makes me feel like Leonardo doesn't really see women as like full human beings. Right. You know, it's sort of like, or at least younger women. Um, but, you know, it's easier to to get your way with. Um, and, you know, it's like I think about myself in my early 20s versus now in my my, my decrepit early 30s. Um, <laughs> and it was a lot harder for me to assert myself, um, you know, in dating or just in life, you know. Um, yeah. I think some people, you know, are able to do that younger than some other people, certainly. But I think as a whole partially because of how women are have been conditioned to please people and that their worth is tied up in how nice and appeasing and attractive they are um, and not ruffling feathers. And, you know, that socialization is hard to unlearn, you know, and then you realize, Oh, I can be a kind person and also stand up for myself and like, Hey, this was a fucked up situation. I don't want to be in it, you know, like, mm-hmm. but a lot of those lessons I feel like come with time they're not innate. And also your brain's still fucking developing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just sketchy to me when someone in their 40s or 50s is, or older is dating someone in their early 20s. Like like a 50-year-old and a 60-year-old, it's like, yeah, go for it. But like like an 18-year-old and a 28-year-old, it's like, mm, yeah, no. No, I mean, and especially because this word is way overused and misused in, misused in today's environment is it grooming yes good (laughs) ding 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 this is the the true definition of someone who is grooming someone else or a groomer is someone Mm -hmm. who is older and sort of befriends with the intent to date later befriends guides manipulates someone who is younger and wields power and influence over a younger person so that that younger person kind of comes to depend on them and see them in a specific light and it's a whole you know it's a whole thing that kind of I don't not saying that Leonardo DiCaprio did that with her what but with his current (laughs) ex-girlfriend latest ex-girlfriend but it does not look good for him Another thing that I read that's sort of interesting is that apparently there's a lot of data that shows that the age gap between partners decreases in countries with greater gender equality. Um, Oh, interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one Hmm. paper (laughs) on one paper that kind of had that data borne out said that, quote, as gender equality increased, women expressed less preference for older men, men expressed less preference for younger women, and consequently the sex difference in the preferred age of mates became smaller. So it's just kind of a whole interesting thing to think about that, like, if there's more equality there's perhaps less um, more equality generally in the country. There is less of a psychology, a social psychology that might go into feeling like I want to feel more powerful or like more relied upon as a man. And I want like a younger, hot, like fertile, you know, young thing. Um, because yeah. I guess also in reading, I read like 25 is usually peak fertility year. 
for women, which I was like, oh, oh good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Bye. Um, but yeah, so I I just found that really interesting. It seems to make a lot of sense. And then it made me think about all the like, you know, Norway, Sweden, Finland, all those countries and just just think about it and space out dreaming about if we had slightly more uh, slightly healthier dynamics between men and women in in the United States go figure makes makes sense if you have like gender equity that you're not putting a a woman's worth entirely on how she looks and you're not equating her age with her value and you know you're actually looking for like a human partner Mm -hmm. rather than like a hot young thing I believe you as you put it yeah <laughs> hot young, hot young yeah. fertile thing <laughs> hot young fertile thing and there's this one thing that I used to listen to I don't listen to it so much anymore not out of any like eh, but I just don't happen to but I used to listen to Savage Lovecast a lot Dan Savage's like relationship and sex you know podcast um and he had something he referenced a lot called the campsite rule which is where if you're dating a younger person like just leave them in as good or better condition than you found them. Like a camp, you know, is kind Mm. of the rule. Like don't, which I always, I mean, back then when I was younger, I definitely had like a thing for older dudes, um, which did not come from a healthy place. And that's the thing too, is I'm like, "Mm," it often, it usually come, not usually, I can't speak to that, but (laughs) anecdotally, it's not always stemming from a, a place of maturity, but rather, a, a sadness a whole um anywho so <laughs> moving on uh the campsite rule the thing is though like you don't how do you know how you're leaving that person because mm-hmm. i feel like there might be people who think they left someone in just as good condition as when they met them um mm-hmm. but they might have done some some real damage there you know so it's like I feel like it's a good rule in theory but I feel like you can't actually be so sure about how you are impacting this other human who is so much younger than you you know like yeah it's tough the old campsite rule I think that's I mean first of all that's yeah that's a that's such a simple and like clear way of thinking about it like Mm I, I, I didn't even put this together, but it's funny that in the last week, and I'm just connecting the dot right now, that I got a text from a random number that I didn't recognize. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it was like, hey, Maria, been a while. How you doing? You know, I don't have this number saved. And I was just like, this is spam. But it's always extra creepy when they know your name. And it's like, so I was sort of like, let me just quickly put this number into the old Google and see if... I can, if anything makes sense as to who this might be, this number belongs to the person that I lost my virginity to in college. Yes, um, yes you did. Yeah, right. Um, someone who was a lot older than me um, by um, probably at least 12 years, somewhere, somewhere in the ballpark of 12 years older than me someone who didn't mind getting signed into a dorm room and surrendering his license (laughs) while he was in there that is the thing when you were texting me about it and you mentioned that I was like oh my god (laughs) to be in your 30s and to forfeit your license to go into a dorm to hook up with someone I know in retrospect really really that's that's a pretty hard red flag. Like you as a 30 something shouldn't be doing that. Frankly, 
if you're not in college, you should probably not be doing it. But, um, you know, I'll give some leeway to people that are, say, within a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But generally, like, if you don't, if you're not of dorm age, don't be finding yourself in a dorm. How Mm -hmm. about um, but yeah, yeah. So, um, thankfully that wasn't, you know, it's nefarious in the way that it sounds cause it's icky and like obviously problematic, but wasn't for me personally. It was actually a situation where I just had a crush on people my own age and decided this person <laughs> could get the job done <laughs> so that I didn't have to worry He'll about you. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of like, had to like virginity was like checking a box off my list and um he checked that box so but like it was just a funny situation I mean I can easily see how if (laughs) in a different world if he was like a more appealing person who seemed a little bit smarter and had a little more power and a little bit more like if he was a little bit more like someone that I could find myself attracted to or like in a longer term sense that that person might be able to really weaponize that power or like that kind of control um, and still make it seem like I can see how younger women could be making decisions that they feel were their own, but really Mm -hmm. it's pretty clear that there's a, there's a dynamic that even if you're able to consent and you are consenting, you know, it just gets very murky and yucky pretty quickly with when there's age differences like that. And with Leo, it's sort of like, the fact that he's obviously comfortable and most comfortable operating in that dynamic speaks negatively to him. Yeah. And it's like, there's the power dynamic with just age alone, but with age often comes other, like other issues of power, like with Leo in particular, like an A-list movie star, millionaire, billionaire. I don't know how much money he has, but I, I feel like it's safe to say he is very rich. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he's out on yachts and things. He's has I, I um somewhere when I was reading for this it said like two hundred million is his net worth. So that feels he's like comfy. A lot. He's a lot. cozy. <laughs> um, you know he's yeah a well known, well regarded figure, and often just by the nature of how jobs and life work, like as you get older you make more money no matter what you're doing really because at least most places the longer you stay there it'll at least give you a little bump up so when you're looking like a 20 year age gap between people there's often that and it's it's I feel like it adds a layer of being able to control somebody you know if if they come to rely on you financially as well um i'm sure there'll be people out there being like well then that's her fault but like <laughs> if you're in love or you think you're in love you get into a situation and you're not folk and he's telling you like oh don't worry about it just hang out on my yacht and i'll pay for everything you know mm-hmm. and you don't have a frontal lobe developed yet and you're just like all right cool bet like um, is that how you say it? Is that what hey, you say? I bet? think I think that's how sounded, you say it. That sounded pretty hip, yeah, right? Yeah, I think. Uh... <laughs> Step aside, Leo. I'm too old. Um, despite my hip lingo, but yeah, it's just it's whole dynamic. I was reading that he quote unquote has his sights set on Gigi Hadid, who's 27. I don't know if there's any credibility to that, um, right? But some it's been reported in multiple. Um, place that reported i use the term lightly but <laughs> it's been hey, noted it's, it's been noted <laughs> in the blogosphere yeah oh my gosh that's uh i it also was just funny how um 
Twitter, like, to, I mean, everyone, like, was ablaze with this news of his divorce, or divorce, with his breakup, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, there, it's funny, because there was a part of me that was almost instantly bored by the news, and then I was surprised that it really sustained over the course of, yeah. like, multiple days, um, so that was kind of interesting that it's something that everyone just seems to so universally be reviling, ridiculing, and, you know, I think deservedly so. Like, I mean, it's just kind of, you make yourself it's the... gross. Well, and also when you, yeah. like, to even take age out of it and just, like, look at the women, mm-hmm. um, they look like they came from the same casting call. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not seeing a lot of, like, body diversity, racial diversity, um, like no shade to any of the lovely women um mm-hmm. in any of this but it really seems like he's like picking out <laughs> like the yeah. next the next item you know from the spring catalog yeah it's a little a little shady it's yeah i agree it's also i mean and i another like rabbit hole that i went down a little bit is um one line of thought about why he sort of has these like inappropriately young interests um, is because when he was um, kind of like a, when he was younger, he worked with um, a producer called Brian Peck, who was actually convicted of, um, he served 16 months in prison for sexually abusing a child um, on like a a Nickelodeon star um, and the guy's name is Brian Peck. And Brian Peck worked with Leonardo DiCaprio when he was young. And there are, like, videos of the two of them kind of palling around. And even there's one where Brian Peck's like, how do you feel, like, being a sexy teen star? And he, like, gestures at Leo in this sort of gross way that you realize, like, you know, it's just kind of like a yucky dynamic yeah. with that guy. And so um, there's – I don't think this is – been substantiated at all but there's sort of like uh people were speculating like did he ever was there any ever anything inappropriate where brian peck um was he ever inappropriate with leonardo dicaprio at such a young age that that sort of like impact his whole way of being and his and his future of how he interacts with women um and then kind of like moving slightly forward from his teen years to his early 20s um it does seem though that like fame kind of got to him and he behaved really badly in his early 20s where he was in this film that never got released called Don's Plums um and it seems like and he and Tobey Maguire and Kevin Connolly like the whole like what did they call themselves like the pussy pack or something oh, like good god <laughs> you know? um you know oh pussy posse i think uh, oh that was it oh, yeah i know so the pack doesn't sound right there's video from this movie which i think actually maybe was released internationally but not in the u.s and canada where they're supposed to be riffing and they're ad-libbing and leo is like ad-libbing the meanest stuff towards this girl and he's just super inappropriate in a way that's sort of like I don't know if that was really an ad lib where you're acting. It seems like you're way too comfortable being a dick. Um, and even like one of the interviews Kate Winslet did went right after Titanic. It's like from 1998 or something. She's talking to someone and she's like, and then I said, Leo, today's my birthday. And he just leans over and goes, sweetheart, I don't care. And it's like, that's like a terrible anecdote. Like, I mean, why would you? Yeah, he thinks he's cute. Mm. So there's just, I think there's, 
I don't know how, I mean, I'm, I would like to think that he's kind of grown out of like that really bad behavior and maybe with more fame and exposure. And he seems to lean more into environmentalist group stuff now. Like maybe he's really growing and, um, yes, he's been in the spotlight basically his whole life. And I'm sure that's done really weird things to a person, but, uh, you know, and there's nothing really, you would think that stuff would have come out about him already if he's really a big old problem, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He might, he might just be a little problem, you know, <laughs> little, little Peter Pan moment. And yeah, he is, he does seem to do a lot like for environmentalism and stuff. So like that is, that is cool. People are complicated beings. They're not all one thing or another. Um, yeah, he doesn't seem like a raging abuse. I mean, we don't have insight into his relationships. But he doesn't seem like some sort of raging abuser. He just seems like he has a Peter Pan complex and is has at least a touch of misogyny, if not a whole handful, whole yeah. bucketful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As much as I can, you know, I can guess, speculate from here. I haven't, haven't met with the man. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because also this, this is also hitting with the Twitter cycle that also would have kind of gone right, right past me had I not been thinking about it in the context of Leo and his dating. But um, Jerry Seinfeld Mm. did like that photo shoot for God knows which, I don't know where, what high-end photo shoot it was but it kind of looks like a vogue or like rolling stone or something like very cool harper's bazaar i don't know i'm just throwing out magazines at this point um (laughs) but it's a very not seinfeld outfit like the outfits that he's wearing have florals and they're like flat rim caps and like night nike or like he's wearing joggers like very high-end sneakery joggery outfits with like a jacket and like (laughs) Oh, and he definitely got plugs. Like someone showed like a him a couple of years ago and he's obviously, you know, his hair was receding. He had short hair, receding hair. He looked his age and now his hair looks very full in the front because, you know, he's a billionaire or millionaire. Hundreds of millions probably himself can buy him some natural looking hair in the front, um, which I hadn't even put together. But yeah, so it's just sort of this like agelessness and the constant forgiving and like allowing men to be like, you know, kind of sexy at at all ages mm-hmm. continuously, and they get to re- rebirth themselves. But I was kind of enjoying the ridicule, even though I, I like Seinfeld, and I don't know why, but I was kind of like, yeah, dude, I'm glad everyone's making fun of you for this shoot. I don't know why. I don't want you to be ripped down, but if we're all, I think it seems like everyone's just sort of taking him down a peg. Like you mm-hmm. thought this looked cool, and granted. You look good. I'm not saying you don't, but it's such a try. It's such a try hard moment. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just interesting. Yeah. Well, and he dated a 17 year old in the 90s when he, I think he was in his 30s. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, oh. and he dated for like four years, I think. Oh. Yeah, he was 38 and she was 17. Mm. And like four That's... years. And his current wife is 17 years younger than him. But I think now, I don't know how old he is now, but that seems maybe fine. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a little little gross there. And yeah, he's someone where it's like, I want to like him, you know, but 17, oof, gross. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) 
Well, anyway, that's the whole Leo <laughs> thing. Is there uh, anything else you want to say on Leo and his relation? I don't think so. I think I think I covered what I wanted to uh, to cover. And now for we see you. All righty, Texas, Texas, Texas. Oh, always. Mm. <laughs> yep. Uh, so currently there is a um, requirement by the Affordable Care Act, which is a good requirement, uh, in my opinion, mm. that mm-hmm. requires insurance plans to cover PrEP, which is their HIV prevention drugs. They're um, very good at what they do. Um they're effective. It's great. And in general, like from a health standpoint, like preventative care is good for everybody because not only does it prevent humans from from getting sick or having to deal with those things, it also like it lowers health care costs because preventing something is cheaper than treating something, mm-hmm. even though the bottom line should be it's good because people don't get sick. But, you know, got to put in the dollar signs for some people out there. OK. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Unbelievable. Um Anywho, a conservative, obviously, uh, federal judge in Texas ruled that requiring employers to cover PrEP, uh, the prevention drugs, and their health insurance plans violates their right to religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I guess that giant leap <laughs> is, is made because often the people who are using these drugs are men who have sex with other men, uh, just because of the basically the mucous membranes in the anus uh, and how and how the disease transmission works make you more susceptible. Um, anyone can get HIV. Um, it's just you're more at risk if you have certain types of sex, certain types of behaviors, whatever. Um, so they've decided, you know what? If you have religious objections to gay sex, then you shouldn't have to let your employees receive prep which is like okay what if someone gets you know has a diagnosis of hiv from gay sex or needle stick or straight sex or whatever mm-hmm. um you're gonna have to cover their treatment for that regardless mm-hmm. of your religious beliefs don't your religious beliefs wouldn't they mean that like you would want people to not die i feel like jesus would like not be down with this but you know who might mm-hmm. speak for jesus <laughs> anywho i just feel like this is not good judgery <laughs> yeah it feels uh partisan political um unethical immoral disgusting unscientific and gross so we see you to u.s district judge reed o'connor who was appointed by george w bush Ugh. We see you. God, that was such a frustrating thing to read over. It's like, okay, so religious freedom trumps everything? Like, Right. Okay. About, <sighs> yeah. Okay. Um, not to give this stupid fucking talking point more air, but uh, we see you to John Blake, who wrote an article on in CNN, when wokeness comes to Middle Earth, why some say diverse casting oh, ruins oh. the new Lord of the Rings series. CNN published this shit. Like, it, oh, God. It's just so frustrating. It gives constant air to, like, this whole fake, like, quote-unquote problem of wokeness, which is just being inclusive in a fake world, Middle Earth. Like, 
I mean, God damn it. I'm just so tired of these like stupid like op-eds that are inflating some sort of like, first of all, using the like inflating the word wokeness to basically just mean like inclusivity and like why some say it's ruining this new series and some say that they're trying to wokeify Amazon's new series and like oh god and they're quoting like people from the editor of Red State the conservative site um and all these people who have written like essays talking about like you know how this is political like someone said um if you focus on introducing modern political sentiments, such as the leftist obsession with identity issues that only go skin deep, you're no longer focusing on building a good story. You're effectively making pro- propaganda or art meant to fit, fit message, not a message meant to fit the art. I go fuck yourself. This is a this is a fake world. This is, I mean, inclusivity. I I think has like made all the art that I can think of, all the films or shows like recently, so much better. This is. I don't want to give this a whole lot of air, but it's just like we have got to move past this like world in which, um, you know, white men and women are the heroes of every story. That's not that's that's boring. It hasn't made anything more interesting. So, I mean, it is I've all I've seen it as an enhancement of every story that I know, whether or not it's been like Bridgerton or Persuasion or um more in house of the dragon even like there's just it makes things way more interesting and also just like i guess i just don't it makes me really sad what like what is the big deal like i mean in star wars too all basically every fandom has like this like strain of virulent racists and like they don't mind putting pen to paper and like <laughs> just being super ignorant and um yeah so but i'm super particularly disappointed that cnn thought it was okay to run an op-ed on this like so we see you to cnn and then to john blake who wrote this for cnn no that is i did not realize cnn did that i saw all the chatter but i did not see that that is it's a fantasy world whole (laughs) there's a fucking like hobbits i just okay Right. Mm, Just very stop. <laughs> very stupid. Um, alrighty, moving over to South uh, Carolina. Um, so this is a a sentence that was that was done. A sentence that was done. This person <laughs> was sentenced back in spring, but I didn't hear about it then. And now her sentence is being reconsidered, which is good. Um, so Brittany Martin um, is a black activist. She's currently pregnant and she's serving four years in prison um, for her quote unquote behavior at racial justice uh, protest, um, which kind of brings free speech into, into question. Um, and you have to wonder if she were a white dude, a white lady, if she would be serving four years, especially considering how, how nicely we've seen the police interact with, white dudes who are fucking strapped mm-hmm. to the nines um so they have body camera recordings um she would chant chanted no justice no peace yeah okay um and then th- this is apparently what is worth four years in jail she said some of us are going to be hurting and some of you will be hurting we're ready to die for this we're tired of it you better be ready to die for the blue i'm ready to die for the black which like wow four years in jail for saying that that i see what they did there um Mm -hmm. where they said it was a 
threatening um, speech. Um, and they also presented this charge as a high and aggravated uh, crime. Mm. It's bonkers to me that this sentence um, was put on this woman for for speaking her mind. Also worth noting, her brother-in-law was shot to death by the police when he was unarmed. Um, they shot him 19 times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... Makes sense. She's really impassioned. Yeah. Makes sense. She's impassioned. And I feel like if, you know, Karen was screaming at a police officer about a parking ticket, you mm-hmm. know, she wouldn't be wouldn't be locked up. And she did not make any direct threats. She voiced her frustration. Uh, but because she is black in America, um, she got sentenced to four years. So I hope that four years. I, four fucking years. She's, and she's fucking pregnant right now. Um, anyway, she's going to have her sentence reconsidered. And I hope that they let her out. And she shouldn't have been in jail in the first place. No. Um, she did not commit any crimes. Anyway. No. Uh, we see you. And again, this was in South Carolina. God, we see you. And it's also like when we're interpreting stand your ground laws that are so unevenly interpreted in the Mm -hmm. South, like Florida and I think South Carolina and Texas, it's like this woman was arguably standing her ground. Like she wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't an incitement to violence and I can see how it would be twisted that way, but it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a clear and present danger to anyone. And um, it's only incendiary in the same way that Trump, please like proud boys stand Mm -hmm. back and stand by. What is that supposed to mean? They yeah. know what they they know what it meant. Yeah, like, they use very different rules depending on who they're talking about. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of proud boys and oath keepers and oh, no. these fucking people, <laughs> boogaloos or what was the one? What was the other one that sounds like an idiot? Like it just sounds like the dumbest name you've ever heard. Is it boogaloo? There's like one other white supremacy. Group I think that it is stupid. I think it is the Boogaloos. It's a Boogaloo. <laughs> okay. Boogaloo. It sounds right. <laughs> as soon as I said it, it, was like, I mean, that sounds like dumb enough to qualify. I just don't mm-hmm. know if that was right. Okay, so um, I think this came out this morning. Um, basically, more info on um, a lot of like the scale of the elected officials, police, police chiefs, um, and government officials who were a part of the January 6th insurrection. This is, according to the Associated Press, the names of hundreds of U.S. law enforcement officers, elected officials, military members um, have appeared on the leaked membership roles of a far-right extremist group that's accused of playing a key role in January 6th and the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Um, the Anti-Defamation League Center on Extreme of Extremism poured over more than 38,000 names on the Oath Keepers membership list and identified more than 370 people it believes currently work in law enforcement agencies, including as police chiefs and sheriffs, and more than 100 people who are currently members of the military. It also identified 80 people who are running for or served in public office as of early August. Um, So this was a database that was published by the Transparency Collective, the uh, Transparency Collective Distributed Denial of Secrets. Um, anyway, um, it's just like obviously a concerning – it's something that we already knew, but hearing the numbers specifically of the people in power and the ways in which they choose to wield that power and their perspectives, which obviously 
affect their behavior, the policies they support, the people that they support, the way that they can wield bureaucracy. It just, um, it's, it's disconcerting. It tells us stuff we already knew, but the Oath Keepers are, you know, a white supremacist hate group. And, um, this should be an alarming piece of information that we don't take lightly. We see you. Jeez Louise, we see you. <laughs> Alrighty. Now we pop on over to a Ponzi scheme. Oh. Good old classic. All right. So there is this, <laughs> this uh, organization called MJ Capital, uh, founded by Joanna Garcia, who um, apparently, at least according to the, their website, was often referred to as Mother Teresa. Oh, um, really? People are saying. Yeah. <laughs> Some people so say. She, some people say uh, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is where mm. she started her company. Um, and basically the, the goal of the company as it described itself was to, to help regular people generate wealth and provide loans to small businesses through a tool known as a merchant cash advance. Um, so it's purporting to be helping like the little guy, regular people, small business owners. Um, but she actually uh, siphoned millions of dollars um, <laughs> to company insiders and, used new investments to prop up bogus monthly returns. Um, so she'd basically just lie and scheme to get people to give money. And then she would not actually be giving these small businesses and these individuals um, the money that they were supposed to be receiving. Wow. Uh, yeah. And apparently the total number of dollar bill bills um, hundred and ninety-six million dollars. Wow. More than fifteen thousand investors in just over a year. Wow. Um, hashtag girl boss. Like, I mean, oh. she she did a fucking thing. Uh, <laughs> but use your power for for good. You know, like don't. Yeah. You're clearly clever. You don't yeah. need to be ripping off the the everyman. You know. You um, don't need to. Yep. And then there's also apparently. Um, another, there are other people involved in the company who, who seem to have been in on it as well. Um, but she is the, the brains behind the operation. So we see you, uh, to, to Joanna Garcia, um, for, and MJ Capital in general mm -hmm. for, for going after the little guys, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not a Robin Hood situation, you know, where, that I could kind of get behind. It's, yeah. It's fucked up. It's targeting, you know, it's targeting middle class families and individuals, small businesses. Mm. Yeah. We see you. We see you. Oh, gosh. All right. My final we see you is kind of fun, quote unquote. I mean, it's not fun in that it's douchey as hell, but at least it's not that serious. Well, I guess it's misogyny isn't that serious. Anyway, <laughs> it's just lighter. <laughs> um, I saw light on Twitter, misogyny. Light misogyny. Um, on Twitter, Gina Hillard, thirty-three, um, posted a video: "Grown man steals baseball from little girl." So it's a Nationals game, and uh, there are a bunch of girls who look like they are—I mm, don't know—somewhere between the ages of five and nine tops they all have 
mitts. They're all wearing a ba- baseball uniforms. They're all wearing cute little braids. I think they're all probably the sa- on the same baseball team. Anyway, they're super excited. They're in the stands. They're yelling at Joey Menzies, who's a Nationals baseball player, to um, throw the ball their way. And it's super cute. He sees them. He throws the ball to them. And at the last minute, an, an adult man just leans into the frame with his glove and and catches it right in front of the girl's face. Like she was about to catch it. He caught it with his glove. And then he just walked away. Wow. And it was like, wow. it was so cold. It was so remorseless. It was so douchey. It was so mean and it was so sad and it's like well here's like here are the girls first uh real introduction to some pretty blatant um just douchebaggery by an adult man against nine-year-old girls tops um at a baseball game like did you really need the ball that badly that you had to snag it from a bunch of girls who were had their baseball mitts out it was just so irritating Yeah. So I just like, we see you to this like remorseless grown male who felt that he needed to steal the ball from a bunch of, you know, from a bunch of children. Like, good job for you. We see you. What a big boy. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, (laughs) Well, one good thing. Yes. uh, Over at the San Diego Zoo, uh, there's a penguin named Lucas. Lucas. Now, Lucas has a case of Bumblefoot. Um, and Bumblefoot, despite sounding quite cute, um, <laughs> is basically a degenerative foot condition. Um, and untreated, it can lead to all sorts of really bad problems. It's painful. Anyway, he was struggling with his Bumblefoot. Lucas wasn't doing well with his Bumblefoot. He was having a hard time. And they made him some special boots. Some special boots for Lucas. And now he can uh, penguin waddle around. Live his best life. Um, They allow him to, quote unquote, fully participate in the colony and showcase behaviors that are typical for a penguin. So he can climb, he can swim, he can nest, he can maybe find a suitable mate with his boots. Um, And they're Velcroed. Oh. That's so cute. Oh, what a cute. Very cute. Oh, little Velcroed boots. I love hearing that. That's really lovely. And uh, we'll just leave it with like a cute animal thing. Yeah. Bumblefoot is no match for you, Lucas. Yeah. Feminist Without Mystique is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Bye. Bye. Bye.